The gospel story we'll look here in a few minutes. Um, There's a desperate, hurting, hurtful man in need of hope and much healing up until Jesus shows up. Just like us, we need Jesus. Um, And it's it's a pretty hopeless story until Jesus shows up on shore. If you have your Bibles with you, we're turning to Mark chapter 5, starting with the first verse. And Pastor Rhonda shared great stories last week, but she, she jumped ahead a little bit because I wanted to share this message. Um, and we're going to lean heavily on the KISS principle, keep it simple, stupid principle. And uh, for some of us, for me, that's really easy, to, that, especially the stupid part. But I, um, it's one of these stories that, that if... Um, I mean, you could do a whole sermon series just on this text because it talks about a lot of, uh, about who we are as believers, what we're called to do as believers, as Jesus followers. Um, and I'm going to blow through it pretty quickly, but I'm going to focus on these four questions. And these are in your sermon notes if you have them. Um, and I'll go over these slowly after I share the story. But what does this story say or share about Jesus's identity? What does this story share about Jesus's character? What does this story share about Jesus' mission? And what do we learn about Jesus' help for us? Kind of rubber hits the road. What's our homework assignment from this text? So um, again, if you've got your Bibles, Mark chapter 5, starting with the first verse, I, I ask you to listen carefully, for these are God's words. They, Jesus and the disciples, went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit, a demon, came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, lived in the cemetery, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And in God's name, God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, What is your name? You ever want to de-escalate the tension in a, in a, in a, in a situation? Just ask somebody their name. Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. Here's where the story gets crazy. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And Jesus gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and then told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And Jesus did not let him go, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Kyrie eleison. Tell them your story, Jesus said. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, the, the ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you're taking notes, what does this story say about Jesus' identity? In my heart, the story confirms at least two things about Jesus' identity. One, Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And number two, Jesus is all-powerful. In an odd plot twist in Mark's gospel, only the demons seem to understand who Jesus is, that he's God, that the Son of God. They're the only ones that seem to know. It's not the knucklehead disciples. They don't get it. The ones who have been healed, they don't get it. The religious leaders of the day certainly don't get it. The only ones who seem to get it are the ones possessed by demons. Kneeling at, back to our story, kneeling at Jesus' feet, the man screams at the top of his lungs. This cra- crazy demon-possessed man yells out, what do you want with us? What do you want with us, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, this man may be crazy. He may be demon-possessed, but he understands who Jesus is, that he is God, the Son of the Most High God. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. The second thing the story confirms about Jesus is his power. And Jesus continues to amaze the people in Mark's gospel by his power, either directly or indirectly. Just the last, if you've been with us the last few weeks, the last couple of stories we've looked at, he's calmed the storm. Remember that storm that came up at night, crazy wind and waves again in the middle of the night. The boats are going down, they're going to sink. Jesus wakes up from a nap in the back and says to the wind and waves, quiet, quiet, be still. And the storm listens from complete chaos to to dead calm. Then last Sunday's story shared by Pastor Rhonda, Jesus raises Jairus' daughter back to life. His daughter, Jairus' daughter, is dying, and he has come to Jesus to plead for, to come and heal, lay hands on his daughter so that she will be made well. Jesus starts to come. He starts to make his way there, but he's delayed. He finally shows up, but it's too late. She's dead. Folks are grieving, wailing over the dead that girl, Jesus, tells them all she's just asleep, and they laugh at him. They tell him he's crazy. But then he goes in with just a small group of guys, mom and dad and Peter, James, and John, goes in and takes her by the hand and tells her to get up, and she does. And then in the midst of that story, on the way to Jairus' house, Jesus heals the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. She believes, she believes in all her heart. If she just touches Jesus' cloak, she will, she will be healed. And she sneaks up behind and touches his clothes, and she is healed. The power, the story says, goes out of Jesus. The healing power goes out of Jesus and heals the woman. If you remember, um, Jesus, in the midst of that crowd, says to the crowd, who touched me? And his disciples say, look at the crowd of people. You're crazy. Everybody's touching you. Now this crazy story. Jesus' power demonstrated again in this most unforgettable way. Jesus drives out the demons out of this man called Legion, and every one of them would have known what Legion meant. And who knows whether that was a nickname or something that was assigned to him. Uh, But Jesus calls him by name. For there were many demons. Jesus drives out all the demons out of this crazy man's head, out of his body into those 2,000 pigs. Nobody's going to forget this story. Nobody. To me, it's a lot of wasted bacon, but that's just me. Um, But Jesus has power, has power over the storms, over nature. Jesus has power over death and sickness. Now Jesus, Jesus has power over evil and demons. What does this story share about Jesus' identity? That he's the Son of God and that he is all-powerful, the creator of the universe. In him, no, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was been made, John chapter 1. What does this story say about Jesus' character? 
Again, the story, I believe, confirms at least two things about Jesus' character. If you're taking notes, Jesus goes where others won't go. Jesus goes where others won't go. And Jesus cares for ones we so easily dismiss. You know, you're in, you're in, you're in, not so much you. First thing, Jesus goes where others won't go. Jesus steps into the messes that most of us would rather shy away from. Jesus steps off the boat in the Gerasenes region. Remember, this was all Jesus' idea, to go to the other side of the lake at night. And this is hostile territory for Jews. This is Gentile country. This is non-Jew country. These folks are different than Jesus' normal crowd. He's only been hanging up around Capernaum, around Galilee. Now he goes into Gentile territory. These are outsiders. If not to Jesus, they're outsiders to his disciples. Jesus comes to this out-of-the-way place intentionally. He comes to this cemetery, this place with tombs and dead people, and then there's this crazy man, this demon-possessed man. Jesus goes where others won't go. One of my wife and I's favorite hikes is uh, south part of Chatfield State Park. Uh, The the park road crosses over the South Platte, and there's uh, there's really cool trails on the east side of of the river. We park there, and we go for a hike, but Sometimes in the past, we have seen signs that have warned that mountain lions have been spotted in that area. And I don't know about you, but mountain lions, I've heard, they eat people. Um, but we, we oftentimes will still go, whether, whether they're mountain lions or not. And I do the cowboy thing. I just, uh, I tell my wife, you go first. I'm right behind you. Uh, I, got, I got your back. <laughs> uh, but, but I wonder in this story if there was a sign at the dock when they came ashore in this strange place. Warning, crazy man demon-possessed man in this area. Enter at your own risk. Enter with extreme caution. Jesus goes where others won't go. And Jesus cares for the ones we so easily dismiss. This man, this crazy man, this wild-eyed, demon-possessed man, stronger than strong, the man who has been delegated to the outskirts of society, by society, this man they've tried to heal, quote-unquote, with chains and shackles. He's just too strong. Too crazy, they say. And this man lives in the place where dead people live. Jesus steps in and brings this guy back to life. Have you ever witnessed someone, someone coming back to life? And not in a physical sense, but emotionally or spiritually or mentally. I know a man just last week that had been out of work for more than a year. And finally, he gets the job. Finally, he gets the dream job. This man came back to life came back to life. Somebody needed him, wanted him, and he was, you could see it in his face, came back to life. In John's gospel, Jesus has told his disciples that there would be crazy days like this, and he warned them about the thief, about Satan, about the demons. The thief, the demons only come to kill and, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come to give you life, and to give it to you abundantly. John 10.10. Just going back to the first part that Jesus goes where others won't go. And I may be projecting this some, but the the story says Jesus got out of the boat. The story doesn't say anything about the disciples getting out of the boat. In my mind, the disciples see this crazy man running at Jesus, this man bigger than life, if not fully naked, half naked, cut up and bleeding. He comes yelling and screeching towards them. And I imagine the guys, the disciples, who just got the bejesus scared out of them the night before in that storm that, that they, they swore was going to swamp them. They see this guy, and they see how the story is going to unfold, and they just tell Jesus, 
Jesus, you got this, right? I mean, you just go ahead. You got this demon-possessed, this demon-driving thing. I mean, you can do that in, in your sleep. You got it. We're back here. We're going to clean out the boat. We'll be back here. We'll just pray for you, okay? Um, what does the story say about Jesus' character? He goes, where, he goes where others won't go, and he cares for the ones we so easily dismiss. Um, number three, what does this story say about Jesus' mission? To me, again, the story confirms at least two things about Jesus' mission. Number one, Jesus' mission is to rescue people. His mission is to rescue people. And Jesus' mission is to go wherever hurting people are. These last three stories that we've looked at over the last three weeks, they are a trilogy of Jesus rescuing people. First from the storm, then from death and sickness, now from the demons. This is Jesus' mantra. I've come to preach and teach and heal but more than anything, I've come to save, to rescue, to redeem. John 3.16 is all about that. Jesus' mission to save, to rescue people. And I love this text from Isaiah. Isaiah 43.1, fear not, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name, and you are mine. And Jesus, to this man, to legion, fear not, legion. I've called you by name. You are mine. You are mine. I've called you by name, and you are mine. You're no longer an outsider. You're no longer a misfit, no longer demon-possessed. You are mine. You are part of the family of God. And then Jesus going to where the hurting people are. And remember, this is one of my favorite stories. He's the good shepherd. He leaves the 99 to go after the one, the one that's hurting, the one that's lost, the one that's lonely and frustrated and scared. In that story, I always want to say stupid sheep, stupid sheep for wandering away, but also stupid shepherd. Stupid shepherd for leaving the good 99 sheep and going after the quote-unquote bad sheep. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense unless you're the one sheep that wanders away. He went after the one sheep. He went after the crazy man. He comes after us. Just a reminder, we're all valued and loved by the good shepherd, every one of us. And I heard this song on K-Love yesterday. He loves us on our worst days. He loves us on our best days. He loves us on Tuesdays and birthdays. He loves us all the time. He loves us all the time. What does this story say about Jesus' mission? He's here to rescue people. And he goes wherever hurting people are. He goes where we are. Number four, what do we learn about Jesus' help for us? What does the story teach about how Jesus helps? And specifically, what can we learn about Jesus' Jesus's help for us? Jesus helps the demon-possessed man. He heals Jairus' daughter. He heals the bleeding woman. He calms the storm. Okay, okay, that's all fair and good, but how does Jesus help us? How does Jesus help you and me? And I have to admit, this one's, this one's above my pay grade, and I'll throw some ideas out, but, you know, after you see uh, the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria where 40,000 people have killed, were killed. And where was Jesus in all of that? So I struggle with that sometimes. Maybe you do too. But here's some of my thoughts on this. We all have demons. At some level, we all have demons. We're all, at some level, we're all this demon-possessed man in one way or another. Our demons may not look like a devil with a pitchfork and horns. Our demons may not be murderous, murderous thoughts or pure evil, but I believe 
I believe we all have demons. And just a quick sidebar, I watched the Exorcist movie when I was in college. I will never watch that movie again. I believe those things happen. I believe people are possessed. But it scares the bejesus out of me. I told the first service that one time I went and someone, uh, someone's home was possessed by an evil spirit. I took two really big guys, holier guys than me, and we went into the house. That's the last time I'm ever doing something like that. Um, I, you know, I shared that you know, our, our new pastor is heading this way, and I shared, shared with first service, he's going to be the guy that does all the exorcisms in this place. I'll do some of the other stuff, but he's got all the exorcisms. But I believe that Satan does exist. And I, I agree with how C.S. Lewis talks about in Screwtape's letters. We shouldn't ignore them or pretend that they don't exist, but we should pay much attention to them either. Both sides are wrong. Satan does exist. I believe that. I know it does. I just choose to acknowledge it and move on. Quick sidebar to my side, sidebar, and I love this story. Um, it's about the theology of demons through a seven-year-old girl's um, wisdom. Um, Little girl, seven years old, younger brother, five years old. They were fighting. Little girl, big sister started it. Mom comes in to break it up, pulls the little girl off away from the younger brother and says, with an exasperation, just, what's gotten into you? Why did you let the devil put into your heart to pull your brother's hair and then kick him in the shins? (laughs) And I love this part. The little girl thinks about it for a moment. Well, well, maybe the devil put it in my head to pull his hair, but kicking him in the shins, that was all me. (laughs) But we all know this. We are very capable. We are very capable of doing evil stuff. And here's my definition of, here's a definition of demons, our day-to-day demons. A demon is anything that separates us from the love of God. A demon is anything that separates us from the love of God. That's part one. And part two is a demon is anything that separates us from community, from relationship with each other. Let me just share just a, a list of of um, what I assume some of the crazy man's demons, okay? Just a partial list. I'm going to guess he's been told over and over again he's worthless, he's worthless, he's worthless. Somehow, maybe it was at, at a young age, abandoned by his family, for sure abandoned by his community. He's angry, he has angry issues. Who wouldn't? Frustrated and depressed. He's numb, he's numb. That's why he cuts himself. He's scary and hurtful because he is hurting so. He's misunderstood. He's lonely. He's unemployed. He's unemployed. He's homeless. Lives in the tombs. He's been first century tasered. He's been beat up and beat up, chained and shackled. He has big time trust issues. And that's just a guess. But here's some of my demons, and maybe you guys can relate. I, I, I have control issues. You know, I shared a couple weeks back that I, I was doing uh, PT, physical therapy on my, my shoulder. The physical therapist said, you're fighting me. I said, no, I'm trying to give you my arm, but he said, you're fighting me. And I told him I have control issues. He said, I know, I know you do, I know you do. I, I got fired by my physical therapist because I wouldn't give him my arm. Um, I struggle with saying no. I get outside my lane a bunch. I overbook my calendar. If you ever, I have old-fashioned calendar. If you ever saw my calendar, you'd say, you know, get another job, kid. This is too much for you. Um, often, often motivated by fear, fear of failure, fear, fear of that I'm not enough. You know, I've told you guys this before. I, I'm a people pleaser. I'm, I'm a golden retriever at heart. You just pat me on the head, throw me the ball a few times. I am yours. I'll go through fire for you guys. 
Then lastly, I'm trying to be real honest here, I have an unhealthy fear of snakes, even garter snakes. Um, You know, I've shared this with you guys before. In our neighborhood, there's a a picture of a dog and a sign that says, warning, I have issues. Um, I shared that a while ago. Somebody bought me a t-shirt that says, warning, I have issues. Warning, I have issues. Um, Our demons, our demons, they separate us from God and they separate us from each other. Just the last point, how do we deal with our demons? How do, we deal with, how do we deal with our demons? How do we deal with the storms that come our way? How do we deal with the death and sickness that comes our way? I shared this story with you guys. I shared this story with First Service. Uh, back in 2000, 23-something years ago, I had just come out of seminary. I was a, a youth guy, um, and I was working with 7th and 8th graders. And I, I love 7th and 8th graders, and I know... Um, I know Pastor Grant does too because they are so honest and they, they call you on anything. Their BS meter is so sensitive. And I, this, this one uh, evening, I, I, I challenged them. I said, write, write a letter to Dear Abby. If you guys have been around a while, you know the Dear Abby letters. And, and the kids were into it. I asked them just to be a, as vulnerable as you can be. Just write Dear Abby a letter and share with Abby what you're struggling with as a 7th and 8th grader. And they were into it. You know, 7th and 8th graders can be really squirrely, but they were into this. Dear Abby, and they started writing stuff. Stuff, stuff that 7th and 8th graders deal with. Heavy stuff. And I went around there. They did it in small circles. I went around, and I just looked over the shoulders, and I said, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, you know, I asked this one group, I asked them, hey, could you, could you ever write that kind of a letter to, to God or to G- Jesus? Dear God, dear Jesus. Or could you pray that? to God, to Jesus. And one of the little boys said, you know, if I was desperate, if I was desperate, why, why, does it, why is it so hard for us before it becomes too bad um, to pray to Jesus? Why is it so hard for us to get desperate with Jesus? And that, that leads me to my last point. Um, why do we do? Why do we wait? For, for, why do we wait so? Um, and maybe this is a way that we deal with our demons. We get desperate with God. We get desperate with God. Trusting God can and will show up. Trusting God can and will show up, even if God doesn't show up the way we want God to show up. The guys in the boat, when that storm comes up, desperate for God. The bleeding woman in the streets, desperate for God. Jairus, concerned about his dying daughter, desperate for God. The crazy man, this demon-possessed man, even if he didn't know it, desperate for God. All of us, as we wrestle with what life throws at us, even if we don't know it, desperate for God. AA's mantra, and I shared this with you guys before, and I love this part of their 12-step program, towards health, towards healing. I can't, God can, I think I will let him. I can't, God can, I think I will let him. It is about trusting God and surrendering to God. Last, last few thoughts about wrestling with demons. And this is all bonus. This is not in the sermon notes. One of my least favorite texts. I have a few least favorite texts in Scripture, and this is maybe my least, least favorite text. From James, Jesus' half-brother. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Because you know the testing of your faith develops Perseverance. Perseverance, I only know like two words in Greek. Perseverance in Greek is hupomone. Can I have you guys say that with me? Because it's a fun word to say, hupomone, hupomone. 
Just a reminder, it rhymes with poopamone. Um, but listen, listen to this. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials, whenever you face demons, whenever you face the stuff that separates you from God and from each other. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance, poopamone. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In the midst of the stuff, it is really hard to say, consider this pure joy. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, first red words, and maybe Jesus' most, most popular, most famous message to his followers, to us. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who struggle with spirit. Blessed are those who struggle with breath. Blessed are those who struggle with impure spirits. Blessed are those who say, help. Help is something that's really hard for a bunch of us. Help, help is really hard for me to say sometimes. Maybe for you too. Last thought as we wrestle with our day-to-day demons, and I borrow this, a quote from kid's book. Um, but it's really not a kid's book. It is about the gospel. It's the, about, it, the book is called The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. And in this book, the little boy asks the horse, what's the bravest thing you've ever said? What's the bravest thing you've ever said? And the horse, without batting an eye, says, help. Anybody struggle asking for help? Two years ago now, I came to Pastor, came to Pastor Ike and asked him, I need help. This was right, this was the, the end of the first full year with the pandemic, and I struggled. I worked my tail off during the pandemic, but it was really hard for me. And I went to Pastor Ike, I said, Ike, I don't know if I can do this anymore, this job. It was just a really hard time for, for any of us pastor types. Um, there was nothing easy about that. We were doing all church online. It was just, I hated talking to a camera that was right here. It just not, was not me. Um, but I came to him and asked for help. And, and you guys didn't see much of it, but I, I would get angry with Ike behind closed doors. I would get angry at home with my wife. I knew it was really bad when I got angry at my dog. Didn't want to hang out with, even, forget my wife, but I didn't want to hang out with my dog. Um, but it was tough. The voices in my head, the voices in my head said, you know, you go to your church and you, you say you need some time off. They are going to say you were a big time loser. We got, we got Karen Connection pastors lined up that want your job. Go ahead, take a break. We got somebody else here that will replace you. You're not a leader. You're a loser. Those are all voices that I struggled before I went to Ike. But I was desperate. I was desperate. I was broken. Do we have to get broken enough, desperate enough, ready to just jump to be able to say, Lord, help me? Or you guys, I need your help. I need help. And you guys were a gift to me. You gave me time off, and it was grace, nothing but grace. One of my favorite texts is this, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace, my grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect when you say you need help. My strength is made perfect when you say, uncle. Last thing, I want to close with the prayer I started with, and I want you guys to just keep your, your eyes open and your hearts open as I share this prayer again. Just last thought. Lord, it is easy to numb ourselves 
against the suffering of places like Turkey and Syria. And even to ignore the pain of the people we meet, like the crazy man living in the tombs. And so this day, and this is my prayer for you guys, so this day we choose to look at life a little more carefully, listening more intently and relating more empathetically, pausing whenever we discover pain to pray again and again and again, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy.